0: It's time star. Welcome to the 5 Star Podcast. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you're having a good week. Um, The score in this Six Nations game on Sunday um, was Scotland 7, uh, Ireland 22. And it was a bizarre game. Um, The kind of game that you could probably go another five or six years and not see the same circumstances that popped up as they did here. Um, And for, and I'll just put it out there right now. For Ireland to win this game, with the circumstances that were there, the, the multiple injuries to the pack, the situation at Hooker with, with your starting and replacement Hooker both getting injured, um, for Ireland to win that game against a good Scottish side, for me, is the sort of proof, not, not, not proof, but if you want an illustration as to why Ireland are the number one team in the world at the moment it's this game it's that second half are probably what you want to look at um, like and we've been over on this podcast a few different times as to what I suppose what we can do and, and, and why certain people me included have an issue with the Ireland squad being made up of like in this instance almost 76% Leinster players like not even Italy have that many Benetton players right like that to me is a problem but there's no way that a side that doesn't have the cohesion that an Ireland squad with 76% of the players there playing and training with each other every week of the year win that game in the second half it just does not happen okay so as much as I might not like it there is a justification for it and here the ends justify the means, so it's something that I think when we look at it, there are there are two ways I suppose to look at it. The first half, right? Ireland were quite disrupted. Okay, a lot of guys coming on and off, um, and you know I, I think there was a bit of bad luck at the start, where you know look, Scotland lucked out by using a new ball and getting that play redone. Um, that was a good try by Ireland. It was, a, it was a mistake by Scotland it's a technical offence that got them off the hook there ok but again look every team gets a bit of a stroke of luck like that in a game or or over the course of a few games so look that was theirs Um, the opening about 10-15 minutes like Ireland only scored a penalty to start off with now Ireland are a team that always start quick and attempt to score tries really early inside the first 20 minutes so for Scotland to avoid that and to score, and to, like, to limit Ireland to three points starting off, that's a good start. That's kind of what you want to do if you want to beat Ireland. You have to stop that fast Irish start. And they did. And with that, I thought Scotland started to grow into the game quite well in the way that I kind of, I half expected them to grow into the game. Like, I, I look at Scotland and look, I've got issues with how they manage the second half and you can look at some of the opportunities that they spurned in this one as well. But, Look at the opportunities that they spurned. Like, I watched this game back. uh, I've only just finished, because I understand this is Wednesday morning. I'm only just after finishing my breakdown run-through, okay? And I don't understand how Scotland managed to go in at halftime behind on the scoreboard. They They had two, I'd say even three, really good opportunities that... Like, they've been taking all season. (laughs) Like, I spoke before the game on, on, was it Friday or Saturday, that they are one of the most efficient teams when it comes to their 22 entries, right? They just don't have a lot of them. They had a lot of them in this game, and they only scored one. It's mad. Like And some of that's down to excellent Irish defence as well. And I think watching Scotland with elements of their game here, you kind of get an idea as to, like, Ireland's attacking work is really good, but our defensive side of the ball is very, very good. And that's something, I think, that is an underrated part of what's powered Ireland to number one in the world. is just the quality of our defence, and our edge defence in particular. Like Gary Ringrose, he missed a lot of tackles here, and for Hugh Jones' try, he kind of fell off that tackle as well as he was drifting across. I will say this, that happens, Okay so for me looking at him and, and I will say again with Gary Ringrose I hope that dude's okay because he took some fucking bang in the second half um, looked out for the count but thankfully he seems to be okay now a couple of days later but yeah no I, I, I think that like Ireland's defensive work like and our scramble in particular is very very good and uh, you don't get that unless you've got a team with a lot of cohesion that's there as well now the other side of the coin ...is looking at France. Now, I think France, after having a little bit of a silly, goofy phase against Ireland... ...where they decided that they were going to play a ton of on-ball rugby... um, ...they seem to have kind of reverted back to what was working for them. And, look, their win over England. I have a rule, right? Where I don't really talk about games or pay too much attention to games where one side loses by 40 points or more Um, now I will have to break that rule in my analysis coming up for the game against England at the weekend but like honestly it's it's just it's very weird and I I think looking at how looking at how they um, looking at how they built France how they built their game like they seem to be moving beyond uh, with their game they seem to be moving to a new level um, that's going to be a massive uh, like clash again if if Ireland do play France in the upcoming World Cup. But um, yeah, look, it, it'll give you an idea about how France still played a bit more rugby in their in their their own half than what I think we're t- typically used to. But we look at their their possession kicked and it's ridiculously high. Like we're looking at seventeen point seven percent of their possessions were kicked as a lot. Um and England, who kick a lot, only had eleven point three. Now, to be fair, there was large like they were chasing the game for large parts of it, so they were disincentivized from kicking once it got to a certain point. But that'll give you an idea. Like France are building a game that almost it gets rid of the need for cohesion in in certain elements. Although they are starting to pick a few more to lose players to give them that base, I suppose, and I, I think that that's, that's the, it's that base that Ireland have. And when you look at what Ireland are doing, it is all about cohesion with that group of 25, 26 players who know each other inside out, who know their game inside out, and who are primed at this point for a Grand Slam next week or this weekend, and a World Cup later on in the year. Um, it it is it is remarkable. Like you look at the guys who came in, like Furlong, Henshaw came back in, both looked a bit a bit rusty, to be fair, but. Like, that's the sort of quality that when you get those guys coming back in and you're looking at Ty Byrne coming in down the track um, and a couple of other guys, that's a team who can 100% win a World Cup. And I spoke on Twitter, well, I didn't speak on Twitter, I wrote on Twitter after the game that Ireland's win over France was elite versus elite, the upper end of the game, like, one of those, like south africa versus new zealand games that we used to watch on tv and you know in in the rugby championship or in the tri-nations and go jesus this is a whole new level of rugby altogether that was that game this game i think when you look at how badly wounded ireland were here and at times under big pressure from scotland and then to go on and win anyway that's the sort of game and that's the sort of 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 performance and just refusing to lose attitude that wins you big trophies and Ireland are in a position now this week uh, to win a Grand Slam because of that performance and I think you know you look at like all the ways that Ireland could have found an excuse to lose that game but just didn't like the second half is the one that everybody is, is fascinated by and rightly so like you look at what typically loses you games in the elite level it's typically your line out not functioning you can get by with your scrum being a disaster zone because, to be honest, referees don't want to—they don't want to ref scrums anymore. So you can get by with your scrum being a disaster. I've seen Munster win games this year when our scrum is getting pumped, but it doesn't matter. It does—it it, it actually doesn't matter. So your lineout, though, is the big set piece now. That if you don't have a functioning lineout, you generally don't win games, and that's true for Ireland. It's true for Leinster. It's true for most teams, right? So when you are uh, Scotland and you realise probably at half time even that like Ireland won't be able to throw into the line out with the same sort of variety and quality that they would typically do for the entire second half like that's not the same as getting a player red carded right because I, I think looking at the way Scotland were playing that at times they were playing a little bit like a team that was like th- that, that that they were expecting space to be there as if Ireland were down to, to 14 men. But what this actually was was an, an even more niche challenge, which was Josh van der Fleer would be throwing into the lineout for the second half. Now, he had nine lineouts, he only fucked up three of them. So he, like, <laughs> like at the end of it, like, Scotland lost four lineouts. Ireland only lost four lineouts. And that's with Josh van der Fleer throwing into the lineout for the entire second half. Now, I've seen people online, and I, I, I've i had a few conversations with people about it, and I, I focused on the Wally ratings a little bit, on Scotland's management of the game in the second half. And look, there's lots of different things you can do in a, in a game that, that can help you win it or lose it. But when you're... Like, at this scale of the game, as good as Ireland are now, like, you will only get so many opportunities to, I suppose, um, hurt Ireland and, and run a score up and make it so that, like, Ireland lose. And this was a massive game for Scotland. Like, this was the biggest game of their season. This was, like, one of those, like, this is what we've been building to moments. And, like I said in the Wally ratings, like, the ending of this game, like, when I, I, there was a, a, like, the camera panned up to Gregor Townsend um, in the, in the, in the the second half. Like, last ten minutes. And he just had a look on his face, like, can I fucking quit this game without saving and start again? Because how in the name of God Scotland lost that game with the advantage they had? Which is, like, it's almost a, like, it, like... Like, it, it, Ireland avoided going to uncontested scrums. Now, there's been a lot made about, oh, geez how shrewd Ireland are and all this other kind of stuff. You will see in AIL games, there's guys on the on the bench who cover hooker, who cover prop, and who cover, you know, both sides of the scrum, right? Now, look, the elite level of the game, test level of the game, it's very different. But a guy like Keane Healy, he does give you that utility wrench option. But, like, the idea that this was somehow, like, ultra shrewdness from Ireland, look, how many times have... The, like the starting two hookers both got injured in a game like this, v- incredibly rare. Like th- like that's why. So the idea that Ireland were somehow like insulating ourselves against this, like, is just again. I think people looking to pump pump the brakes a little bit or pump the gas a little bit too much. But I, I think looking at how Ireland avoided going to uncontested scrums, which which would have meant we would have been down to fourteen men, um, that was one good management. Okay having guys who've got a wide enough skill set, but also the confidence to be able to, to drill that. Like, to have Josh Vander Fleer, yeah, he he throws in the line-out in training. Like, he doesn't do a whole lot of it. But I'd say he does enough of it that, look, we can throw it to two. And I think I, I saw some guy, there was a few fellas on Twitter, they're kind of going, really genius line-out calling by Ireland. Look, it really wasn't. Like, Josh van der Fleer could only really throw to the front or the front of the middle at best. So that's where all of your throws had to go, right? It was scandalously poor line-out defence from Scotland and scandalously poor um, like territorial management from Scotland, who, who, like I said, from the minute they started to get a flow of possession in that, in that second half, started playing like Ireland were a man down. And like the amount, and look, it's not unusual for Scotland to keep the ball through their hands to a certain extent. But they went off scheme. Like they, like this was the only game of the Six Nations. This was the lowest kicking game in the Six Nations they've done so far. In a game where Ireland would have had a like a significantly weakened lineup to the point where it could be a game breaking weakness, Scotland kicked the ball less than what they have all season long. Which is mad, absolute madness. So. Like, looking at that aspect of it, um, I can imagine Gregor Townsend is absolutely fuming because there were so many times during that second half where Scotland had an opportunity to, let's just put this ball in behind or get this skidding on the ground and get it out into touch and let's have a line-out. Like, Ireland had nine lineouts in the second half. Ireland should have had fucking 19 line-outs in the second half. Mad. Like... Because I I, I kind of put up on Twitter about like Scotland's contesting and I had a guy DM me kind of go, well, look, Scott Cummings did contest these, those lineouts. Like Ireland, like Scotland only didn't contest one. It's not about the fact that did they contest it because they did contest most of them. The problem is, is how they contested them. Because like if Ireland were Josh Venderfleer throwing into the lineouts, like this is a guy who has never thrown into the game in a URC game even. Never mind throwing in. At uh, at the elite level of the game, a test level in a six nations game, right? He has never thrown into the lineup before. So why if you're Scott Cummings, who's a good lineup jumper and a good lineup contester, why are you there trying to read the steps? Because you can look at him, you can see him looking, reading the steps of the pod that he's mirroring mirroring. Himself and Johnny Gray, they're mirroring mirroring Ireland's pods. I'm like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Josh van der Fleer can only throw to two or the front of the middle. So, why are you reading the pod to see where they're going? You know where they're going. You know where they're going. So, why are you not planted at the front of the lineout? And the minute you see Josh van der Fleer's arms go back, you're up into the air. You don't steal all of them. He'll land one, but you're going to spook him. Into maybe throwing a crooked throw, into doing a dummy throw, you're going to put lots of pressure on on Ireland because, like Scotland, were waiting to look at what the pod movement was before jumping and then going. So they were looking at the jumper rather than the guy who was never thrown into a game, uh, thrown into the lineup before in any professional game. Rather than going on him. They were going on the pod. So they were always second best. Like they were looking to try to go jump for jump with Peter Armani and Ryan Baird. What? With Peter Armani? Like one of the best, most explosive jumpers in the game? You're looking to try to go jump for jump with him? Josh van der Fleer will tell you when they're throwing in. It was mad. And it was just one of those things that like when you look at, at that aspect of the game, like Scotland will be fuming with themselves that they allowed themselves to give Ireland such an out. Now look, Josh van der Fleer still did ridiculously well for a flanker throwing into the line out, but like you know, because he chose up a few nice spirals or whatever else. But like he could only throw one throw, and he could only throw to the front or the front of the middle. How Scotland were, weren't just literally plant Schumann down at the front, and I could see I could see your man Schumann or Pierre Schumann looking at um. Ireland's pods as well with Porter at the front. Now Porter's a great lifter but like why are you reading him? Just plant yourself down. Scott Cummings will look at Josh van der Fleer. He will not take his eyes off him. The minute he sees Josh van der Fleer's arms go back he's gone. Up into the air. Get up. Get up early. Get your big fucking wing your, your, your big wingspan up into the air and disrupt that. And make Ireland try to catch around that. Like the very first lineup they had. Like they put Ireland put Peter Omani up. Which of course they would. Right. And Scott Cummings was coming up from behind Omani. How in the name of God are they jumping in front of you? You should be at the front. Planted at the middle. And just get up. The minute you see Vander Fleer put his hands back. And that like, that, like that to me was maddening watching it back. Because look I'm delighted. Look Ireland won. But I'm looking at it and going... God above, how did Scotland blow that? Look, and I know Richie Gray was off the field. He was actually off the field relatively early. I think he picked up an injury inside the first ten minutes. And Scott Cummings is a young, young enough player. But like when you look at, at Johnny Gray, 70-plus cap guy, um, he's still there in the second half, like not just having his fucking hands planted underneath Scott Cummings arse the entire time rather than they're trying to read oh what what's James Ryan doing? What's 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 Ryan Baird doing? What 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 kind of kind of slip scheme are Ireland gonna do? It's like <laughs> you know where they're throwing. Like why are you fucking bothering? Look, it's it's frustrating. That was like that annoyed me looking at that kind of going like what like yeah, very very like unusual. Like and the thing is it had Ireland lost because of that, like, I would not be crucifying them over it. Because like who can who can like who can plan for Henderson, Doris, Sheehan, Kelleher, and then later, Gary Ringrose, all getting injured in the same game, and still winning. Like, it, it, you know, they're going about a testament to Ireland's depth, to a certain extent, but like, honestly, I think if that's any other team who aren't as well used to each other as as Ireland are, but who are playing a team with competent line-up defence, I, I, like, I think Ireland, I mean, probably lose that game, but like... Even then, like the amount of times that like that Scotland could and should have probed into the backfield, part of it looks like to me that Finn Russell overthought this a little bit, where he thought that well, Ireland will be expecting us to kick <laughs> deep into the in you know to look for those corners and to look for to get the ball off the field in in their half you know whatever chance we got. Um, but then he thought, well, they'll be expecting us to do that, so let's just subvert their expectations and I was just like okay like that's a I, I don't see the fucking plan I, 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 well, no, I get it but like that seemed to me to be what he was thinking at certain points during this game and I was just like just fucking kick the ball down the line would you?" like just mad genuinely mad but you can't talk about this game without a fantastic like, talking about a fantastic performance by Mac Hansen James Lowe Peter O'Manee. um who else did I give a five star rating to uh, those three guys anyway were top of the list for me um, you look at the quality of uh, Matt Hansen's performance he's got a lot of man of the match performances which you know I think in the modern era is actually quite good because look most man of the match awards are picked by pundits right who are co-commentators for the host broadcaster right so like these are usually players who are retired from the game with quite some time so the guy who gets man of the match for the most part is genuinely the guy who scores tries right so if you've scored a try or been involved in a try you will generally get the man of the match award um in the six nations okay mac hansen he did that right he, he scored a try he set up a try but he was very good he was very good he played key parts in three scores but he's a really good player and it's like it's just one of those weird things because you would look at it and you'd go uh, like how how sh- like he's not a, like he was not a high profile acquisition for Connacht coming up from from Super Rugby from the Brumbies I think. He was not a, a high profile acquisition. I mean, like it just happened and it was just like, "Oh, Matt Hansen. Okay, cool." Like and then for him to be like just this fucking outstanding guy who's playing really well at Test Rugby and getting three Man of the Match awards in the Six Nations and he's only played two of them. Like, that's really good. That's like, that's like massive. But you can see himself in low, oh, I gave five stars as well. Like, oh, I gave Josh Van der Fleer as well and Hugo Keenan. Like Ireland's back three was very good. Very, very good. Um, But you look at Ireland's back three and you can see the demands of what Ireland's counter-transition game is and why if you're not in the conversation in the back three, why you're not? It's because the kicking volume and the playmaking volume, which is now a big part of what they're doing also. Um, Hansen and Lowe and Keenan, um, Keenan less so, but like he made big plays here. Like they're expected to do a lot of passing, and when you look at like um, you look at Ireland's performance, right? Um, like Johnny Sexton. Isn't what like wasn't massively involved here. Like he, he didn't have a huge amount of touches. Like he's a like again, okay. Johnny Sexton is vital to what Ireland are doing, but like I wouldn't say looking at this that like that, that he's a vital cog in Ireland winning this game, which I think is a good point, a good a good thing for Ireland, but like he had um twenty seven passes, which is a lot, right? But like none of those were, were massive like game breakers just facilitating, moving the ball around. And his his kicks were genuinely well, generally well executed. And I suppose it's his, his management of the game and his understanding of the framework. That's why he's just such an, such an elite guy, good like as in 27 passes. It's pretty good for the amount of ball Ireland had. But like you look at Hansen had 10 passes, Lowe had five, Keenan had seven. That's a bit more playmaking than what I think they have been doing. And, like, it kind of goes against what I was saying about Hugo Keenan playing really good when he doesn't have to do a whole lot of playmaking. Like, the bits of playmaking he did here, he had one big pass to make to Mack Hansen in the first half. Uh, Scotland defended kind of narrow where they were packing the line a little bit and their backfield coverage with regards to uh, Stuart Hogg rather than Duhan van der Merva for me was baffling because, like, they were kind of saying to Ireland, okay, we'll pass around us. But then... They weren't closing the door behind them by kind of saying, okay, well, look, we're going to have our fullback like, be the guy who's going to cover that edge space. So if we're going to go narrow with Duhan van der Merva and Kyle Stein, Stuart Hogg will cover if you decide to make that pass. So we're basically saying, can you make that pass? And then can you finish? But then making it easier for them to finish because Stuart Hogg is coming from inside the progression of the ball. Because if you're a fullback, there are three positions you can take roughly if you're kind of in that... A pendulum space in the middle right you can either be on the ruck which is very conservative and you're leaving yourself with a lot of work to do if the opposition decide to go to the corner and you will generally have to have a system that means your wingers are going to be always slightly recessed if you're going to be that close to the rock, the reason why you're there is that like, you're not close to the rock, but you're like you're lined up with it the reason why you're there is is that you're you're worried about the opposition uh, breaking through the middle, you will see teams defending Antoine Dupont like that, where they will have a guy basically mirroring where Antoine Dupont would break from to basically mark him with the, you're giving up space elsewhere, but you you really want to kind of double down on not giving that space to Antoine Dupont. Um, Then, you will have your inside ball progression, which is, you're again, quite conservative. You're worried about a break and an inside tip on there. That's something I think that's a legitimate worry when you're playing Ireland. Then you have outside the ball progression, which is you're running ahead of the ball, right? So what you'll generally have then is somebody coming in from the other side, kind of covering any inside breaks. There is a bit of a risk involved, but you are covering more on your outside. You will see teams who blitz that bit higher will have that outside the ball coverage right but you give up a bit of a risk as well but to kick over the top and that's something a bit of a risk with Ireland also but I would prefer that than saying to a high pass per carry team like Ireland who always kick from the edge like we're going to give you the edge <laughs> like I don't think you want to do that like th- th- that to me was 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 confusing but like with Keenan and with Mac Hanson and James Lowe, who were kind of constantly involved, and constantly looping and 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 uh, and making themselves available as playmakers in the second layer, that kind of adds so much variation to what Ireland do and makes Ireland so difficult to defend. But it's Ireland's kicking game that's the big thing, where all of those guys are kickers who will kick at a fairly high volume. Like Hansen kicked the least out of the out of the three of them, but like uh, Hugo Keenan had a ball handle percentage of seventy five. Uh, James Lowe had 78 So these guys will kick a ton All through the game And when they get onto the edge They have no bother in breaking there But you look at, at James Lowe Some of the breaks he made Some of the tries he scored Well the try he scored um, Just very difficult to deal with And like with with Johnny Sexton Understanding what his role is now He's just getting that flow of possession Going really really well And that like with our two wingers And our midfielders Interchange quite a bit and it's, it's a really kind of unique kind of system that Ireland are running at the moment, but it's perfectly suited. And yeah, look, you can tell when Caelan Doris went off the field injured that Ireland were losing something physically and kind of fell away back in, that, in, in the rest of the of the, of the first half. Uh, they had one really good line-out like where we got a good uh, set-piece launch and broke up the field off the back of that. But we lacked Caelan Doris's impact and as a result, the system didn't run as well as what I think it, it would normally, and that's something for teams to look at. But um, the other guys who got five star performances for me were Josh Vanderfleer. Josh Vanderfleer, Sometimes I that very American. Josh Vanderfleer and Peter Romani, um, and oh, and Andrew Porter. I gave him five stars as well. Just seeing that there as I scroll upwards, Porter was very, very good. A game winner again. He's just incredibly physical. The strum doesn't matter. So, like, yeah, he conceded two free kicks there. Could have conceded the penalty in another one, but look, it doesn't matter. He is a really good player when it comes to winning those physical battles. Just very skilled, and he helps you win those collisions. And if you win collisions, you win the game most of the time. Uh, Josh van der Fleer, um, I gave him, I gave him, I, I, I gave him five stars. Um, I gave Keane Healy four stars because he didn't really do much other than throw at hooker, which is kind of remarkable. But still, Josh Vanderfleer, the way he threw into the lineup was just again just great, and his work rate and his just his busyness very very good but you have Peter Romani who I gave five stars I think if Peter Manny is not playing in this game Ireland lose um, his role adaption after Caelan Dorris went off the field was outstandingly good he just like changed tack he started coming more centrally he has a ton of breakdown involvements as you'd expect but he made some like really key carries as well as well as being like a godsend in the lineout when you have a, a, a flanker throwing in and you need somebody to go up and get the ball for you Peter Romani Peter Romani is the guy and he was helped by Andrew Porter who was fantastic in the line out there as well but that's the sort of of, of performance from Peter Romani that shows why he is that guy and why he has been that guy in Ireland teams for a decade now he is always this good certainly for Ireland and if you look at the way that this game played out like what type of game would you want where you haven't got a guy who will max out he can go to a heavy defensive role if he needs to. Like the entire point with this, and I said it in the in the, the, the gift room that I put out as well, is that like players fit the system that they have been selected to play in. Okay? So like a lot of the a lot of the discourse of Peter Romani Like, sometimes comes down to the fact that, well, he doesn't have a whole load of tackles, or he doesn't have a whole load of carries, so he must be rubbish. But what that, like, it, it fails to understand, first of all, that if he does not have those things, but he is still being selected, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because the people who have designed the framework that Ireland are playing with understand that, he will not have a whole ton of involvements on those particular metrics because of the way that the framework is being set up. So, for an edge forward like Omani, right, with that kind of combo flanker, heavy combo flanker build, right, what would we expect him to be involved in? The line-out, both sides of the ball, and he was, Right. In here he ended up carrying more and defending more because Ireland had to shift the roles because typically Jack Conan would come on the field for Peter Armani so with Peter Armani and Jack Conan on the field from relatively early one of them had to change up what they do and it was Peter Armani who did it so with that his numbers are different but what they typically do with Ireland is that they have him involved in the line they have him involved heavily at the breakdown and they're looking for quality breakdown interventions here which aren't just show up first at, at, at the breakdown one of the stats that come up from the Six Nations is um, arrivals at the breakdown right I can't think of a more vague way to go when it comes to listing what happens at the breakdown your work oh did you arrive first it's like okay but what did you do when you got there <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit like you know showing up to work first but then kind of accidentally burning the kitchen down you know, it's like, okay, well, you were there first, but you kind of, we kind of wish you weren't. Um, So it's just one of those things where what Peter Mane gives you consistently is quality. And this game kind of, it, it exaggerated what he does, but this is always what he does. And it's just that, like, the reason why he doesn't always carry this much in games is because he schemed not to. They have other guys to do that. So he then will involve himself in different areas of the game that make the game work. Right? So he's a really good facilitator when it comes to like because I'm trying to explain to like to, to people who don't get what Peter Manny does, but who can understand in other sports guys who might be a little bit more subtle, who don't score a ton of goals, who don't have big massive tackles um in in games like like is Roy Keane, Andrea Pirlo, <laughs> but instead of passing the ball, he is winning breakdowns before they're in a position even to be challenged for. Or is that a bit is that a bit off? I'm not sure. Like it makes sense in my head that he has got a subtle role in the game that people sometimes go, oh, it's unseen work, <laughs> but like it 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 is not unseen and it's vital to what Ireland have been doing under Schmidt and um, for every period bar the one where he was injured with a very serious ACL injury for the guts of nearly 18 months where he was back within you know 10 months or whatever else but he was he was not back to his best because he needs to be like fit and he needs to cover a lot of ground to play the game that he does So, like, yeah, it was just, it it was very unusual, but I think that, like, what we've seen from Peter Romani is, is that this baseline of performance is not unusual, this is not an aberration, like, this is, this is how he plays for Ireland, and it's why he is such a, a vital, like, just a massive leader in this group, and why people go, oh, you got a year, another year contract. It's because he's still performing to an incredibly high level and doing exactly what the team and what the coaches need him to do in this system. And like I said, I don't think Ireland win this game without him. So thank you very much for joining me in this podcast. Um, I will be back with uh, more stuff in the build up to the uh, England game, the Red Eye and a bunch of other content as well. The Work Rate article will be out today on the €10 tier. And I have a live stream coming at, I think it's on Thursday, on the 10 euro tier as well. It's the first ever Spice Box live stream. So that's on the 10 euro tier. You can also get, a at the moment, a sale on um, for, get the Test Match Animal tier, which is basically the 10 euro tier for 50 a month, or, 50, or for 50 a year, rather. 50 euro a year over on Etsy. It's the exact same process if you're listening on Patreon, the exact same. You just go over to Etsy and I email you everything. So you get everything through email anyway. So that's it. Um, Yeah, so I was going to cover other news, but there hasn't really been a whole lot happening. England kind of imploding a little bit. I don't think they'll be this bad again at the weekend. Um, I don't think it's Eddie Jones' fault either. I'm not even sure it's Steve Bartwick's fault. Um, I just think over the last 10 years, I think it's just been, I don't know, like where England had a really hot period in the middle of the last decade um, and then kind of building up to 2015, like the World Cup, that kind of was a disaster in England. But then with Eddie Jones, they made a final. Um, and you're thinking, like, you know, teams who make the final of the World Cup, you think, Well, those guys, especially when you look at the, at the age of the players that they have and had in that final, you're thinking, Well, geez, there's they're still gonna be a big deal um in in twenty twenty three. Um, but it kinda of hasn't happened. And like one of the things that people were talking about, um, and they were asking about about Marabatoji. Because there was an article, somebody shared it there into the Secret Club the other day, um, about Mario Itoji, about what's happened to him. And, like, it's true, you hear less about Mario Itoji now than what you would have in in years gone by. I think parts of the game uh, kind of bypassing him have kind of of done that. Like, I had him always listed down as a kind of very specific role set, which is the 4 slash 6D flanker which is there was only a couple of them right you have courtney laws who's in that bracket you have uh, peter steps to toy using that bracket and you have mario Otoji in that bracket It is primarily a defensive position which means that when you look at mario Otoji what would he normally do when he's playing well what's he doing he's winning breakdown turnovers he's maxing out with a ton of tackles um his offensive ruck work is really good um but when you look at... And his line at work on both sides of the ball was very good. His mall D was very good. But what were his offensive, like, on-ball stuff? What, what was that looking like? And it was, like, never great. Like, he was never a massive ball carrier. Like, he would always tend to go into the, in, in you know into, into, into contact pretty high. Um, he was never somebody who was, like, a big, dominant ball, you know, on-ball guy. The same way a Billy Vunapola would have been or even Manu he would have been. But it worked because of the the build that England had in their in their back five or in their front five. Um with Mekovunapola going backwards a little bit physically, with George Cruz retiring. That's put a lot of pressure on Marabatogee as being a kind of a, a big physical touchdown for England, and I don't think that's his game. Um they've struggled to replace George Cruz. He's still only 33, but like they like they have struggled to replace him, and I think that elements of what he did Itoji is now doing, and it's not really fully suiting his game, um, and I think, like, a lot of teams, like, bar maybe France and South Africa, <laughs> they're struggling to get the size in the second row, and I think that, you know, you look at Courtney Laws, is a guy who, again, more suited to the back row, I think, at this stage. He's still a, a, a huge man, but we're looking at, we're talking, about the, the, the physical beasts you need in, in, the, in the, the second row now are, like, not a lot of guys around who have those qualities so that's going to be the big focus i think for england is finding that fit they're not going to do it by sunday or by saturday so again it'll be interesting to see but uh i I don't think they're as bad as what that result might suggest but it's a bad result like it's a very bad result don't get me wrong um so yeah it's going to be an interesting one anyway a little diversion there now it's the end thank you very much for joining me i will talk to you again very very soon (laughs)